Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Aston Villa, Arsenal. Emery versus his memories. After the 1-0 victory, we ask, are Villa Real title contenders? Elsewhere, Man United, Bournemouth, Cherry and Maguire in a famous away win. There's also Fulham. Is Raul Jimenez back? Everton. Is Sean Dyche actually Basque? Why are Newcastle so knackered? And so much more in this Totally Football Show. All right, everybody, Sunday 10th of December for us, uh, match day 16 of the Premier League season has just wrapped up and we have a panel for you, one selected for high compatibility on the Joey Barton ease of listening uh, scale. We've got Colin Miller. Hi, Colin. Hello, James. Lovely to see you. Jordan Campbell's joined us. Hello, Jordan. Hi, James. Lovely to see you too. And up on the big screen is Daniel Story of the Eye. Good evening, James. Good evening. Uh, oh, Banquo's Ghost is played by producer Charlie. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, The Totally Football Show. Uh, Stacey Sang saying, loving seeing the sausage get made. So if you fancy a bit of that, <laughs> get along to our YouTube channel. Woof. We've had some fun this weekend, eh? You went to Villa Park Saturday, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. Daniel's fresh back from Kenilworth Road, Daniel. Yeah, just walked through the door. Woof. Should have opened it first, eh? <laughs> hey. <laughs> and Colin, I'm not sure where you were, but I'm, I'm sure it was great. I haven't been anywhere, but oh, okay. um, I have, I've watched a lot of games. It's been a, been a very Boom. fun weekend of football. You've got a it's nice been, living room. Yeah. <laughs> it's been extraordinary. It's so much so that when we had that half hour at Kenilworth Road, when Luton were ahead, you thought it was actually, you felt with the way that other scores had gone this weekend, or at least I did, I thought, well, yeah, this is actually going to happen. Yeah, and they, it, it, it felt very... Luton one nil winnie in that Manchester City had all this control and then didn't do anything with it and then Luton lobbed a ball into the box a brilliant cross it should be said uh, and Elijah Adebayo does what he's increasingly doing which is getting about a foot higher than anyone else in the penalty box so mm. yes it was a frantic atmosphere as it always is in that press box because you are very m- much amongst it you're almost tempted to call the referee a swear word yourself you're so close to the fans very nice very nice uh we should uh, get onto that again very shortly but a quick check on the scores around the premier league on match day 16 saturday was a wild one bournemouth went to old Trafford and beat man united 3-0 a scoreline that flattered the hosts as jordan will be telling us later on bottom side sheffield united won uh, their fixture 1-0 against Brentford. Fellow scrappers Burnley got a 1-1 draw at Brighton. Wolves drew 1-1 with Forrest. Meanwhile, at the top, Aston Villa beat leaders Arsenal 1-0. While Liverpool came from behind to win at Palace, which means that Liverpool are now on top of the table, one point ahead of the Gunners, who are one point ahead of Villa. Sunday then, Man City joined the party, moving to four points off the top after a bit of a scare away at Luton, but coming back for a 2-1 win. Also Sunday, Everton beat Chelsea 2-0. Fulham beat West Ham 5-0. And then Spurs handed Newcastle their second big defeat in a row. 4-1 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
and that's probably where we're going to begin. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Son fires it in! And the fire is back in Tottenham's belly. Football for fun! Spurs 4. Newcastle won Sunday afternoon. Spurs grabbing their first win in six matches. We all saw this interesting scoring. You had Destiny Udoggi's first goal for the club. He's just the second Italian to score for Spurs, crucially. Uh, Richarlison scoring his first ever goals with his feet for Spurs. And uh, Son then getting the first penalty scored by a Spurs player not called Harry Kane since... What, when was it, Jordan? Did you say? 2021, I think, wasn't it, or something? 2021. Madness. Madness. Anyway, beyond that, what was the big story of this game? That Tottenham took the lead and then stayed in the lead. Wow. And doubled it and trebled it and <laughs> quadrupled it. Um, I think coming into it, you know, there's part of me thinking maybe um, they may as well just kick the ball in their own net just to get over that psychological hurdle. But, um, yeah, I think they came flying out the traps and, um, yeah, once they took the lead, they had maybe five, ten minutes where... They looked a little bit wary of history repeating itself, but no, it was, it was pretty dominant in the end. I think mm. 21 shots, half of them on target. It could have really been any score towards the end. Newcastle got a goal back late on, but for most of the game, where were they? Yeah, it was strange on this because Tottenham had obviously been against West Ham in midweek and had been so dominant to go 1-0 up. And then second half, they just didn't really come out and the tie turned, they couldn't really go against that. When Richarlison got the second goal, that really seemed to settle uh, Tottenham down. And you, we all thought, we were all saying Newcastle are going to come out after the break. You know, they're going to going to play with more intensity and more urgency. But it just never really happened. And, you know, they, they got to go back in, in injury time. But I think 4-1 almost flattered them in this game because Tottenham just had so many shots and goals, so many good chances. Obviously, they scored the four goals. They hit the post twice. Uh, they had two or three other chances which could easily have gone in. I don't know the XG figures, but I would imagine that 4-1 would, would probably reflect that more or less. And Tottenham are so dominant. Like, we know what Tottenham are all about now, especially under Postacoglu. They'll score goals. They'll they'll leave themselves open. But I think in this game, it was uh, Tottenham had, had that control, which they haven't had in recent weeks, where they would go in front and then and then they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be able to hold on to that lead. They wouldn't be able to manage the game properly. But Newcastle didn't seem to have any answers in mm. this one. And that's sort of been a story... Of their season, certainly away from home, it's been been difficult. Yeah, the last week's been particularly so for them. Uh, Kieran Trippier really standing out for his, the kind of discombobulated nature of, of his performances. Daniel, you're nodding. You you were following this game on your way back from Luton. How how much of a an idea were you able to formulate? Yeah, I, I mean, I had the the glorious delight of Pat Nevin on Cocoms on Five Live, so I was I had the best seat in the house. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we should say Newcastle are, are basically half broken through fatigue now I think at this point the injury crisis is a problem in itself but what it means is that they've they've not changed an outfield player in the last five games so the the only change in the last five games is Nick Pope getting injured and Martin Dubravka coming in and the midfield just looks really tired Lewis Miley is is 17 and has had to basically play 400 odd minutes out of the last 450 everybody looks tired Isaac looks tired Gordon wasn't really getting the ball they obviously have Milan on <laughs> In midweek, which is a huge, huge game, and I think you saw a second half as soon as it went to three 0 Eddie Howe was like, "Right, we need to get people off here. We need to get Longstaff and Wilson on, get some minutes in their legs because we're going to need them on Wednesday." They've got Fulham next weekend, who are now in in great form, and um, they're going to have Trippier out with that for the accumulation of five yellows. That's another player they lose. 
They've been bad all season away from home. The, the weirdest stat of their season is they've won one away game this season and they won it 8-0 at Sheffield United. Um, but other than that, they have been poor. But I think the fatigue is kind of more of an issue than anything else at the moment. Mm. Milan, as you say, coming up on Wednesday, Milan themselves beaten, although not by quite such a margin, 3-2 away at Atalanta uh, this weekend. But uh, not in the greatest of shape vis-a-vis injuries as well, the Rossoneri. Hmm. All right, well, there you go, Spurs. Lovely to see them enjoying themselves again after what's been a very tricky spell. And how does that leave them in the table? Fifth, they're three points behind Man City and the top four. Very good. I was going to say on Spurs, there's been some kind of deliberate missing of points I think over the last couple of weeks as their form has turned the, the performances haven't really apart from West Ham but the, the, the results certainly have but you, you hear the crowd today and you hear kind of how people watching them react and you see the football and you know you realise that Postecoglou hasn't really brought in any of his own players yet and you can you can kind of get it you have to be kind of deliberately blind not to see why that would stir something in football supporters because it is great to watch it is mm. it's appointment television either way not much fun for Newcastle fans today but in general yes a good thing uh, earlier on on Sunday there were three games only one of which was televised so let's catch up now on the two that weren't on telly as we go live to some Premier League car parks first off here's Matt Davis Adams on Everton 2 Chelsea nothing Well, you've just seen a remarkable game between Everton and Chelsea that finished 2-0 to the Toffees, their third straight victory. What kind of a win was it, Matt? Um, it was a pretty drab Sunday affair for the first half, certainly. Um, the game was there to be won for Chelsea. Then, I think, Everton looked tired after playing on Thursday. Um, but the story of the game was Chelsea having all of the ball and doing not very much with it. They had 16 Shots, I think, but only four were on target. Very few were from inside the penalty area and even fewer looked like troubling Jordan Pickford. And and Everton just diced them like I saw them do to Forest the other week. They waited for the opposition to punch themselves out and then hit them when they were weak. And yeah, another exceptional win for them and another worrying performance from Chelsea. Mm. A lot of injuries for Chelsea and a couple more added by this particular encounter with Rhys James exiting early and Robert Sanchez as well. But... Beyond the shortness of the squad right now, any signs of uh, Pochettino coming to grip with things at Stamford Bridge? Not over the past week, I've got to say. It's been a real step backwards. I've just spoken to Maurizio Pochettino and he was keen to point out this was a different kind of defeat to Man United and Newcastle in the last away games. But um, there is a worrying lack of, I'm not sure if it's creativity or just clinicalness in terms of finishing. Um, Armando Breuer started today didn't really look like getting the goal. Nicholas Jackson kicked at fresh air when he came on and had one opportunity. But yeah, there's a lack of goals in the team at the moment. I think there's becoming an increasing expectation that Christopher Nkunku is going to sort this out. But there's not even a particularly defined style of play for Chelsea at the moment. The injuries are are a big factor. And I think Reese James going off here really did force a reshuffle that they didn't want to do. But you can only use them as an excuse for, for so long. And Having spent a billion pounds, you'd expect to see a little bit more than what we've seen from Chelsea in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it feels like ages ago that they had that thrilling game against Manchester City. It just feels like a totally different team at the moment. And yeah, not in a good way. Oh, did you point out to Maurizio that Poch is an anagram of chop? You know what? I didn't, James. Maybe I'll do that next time. Um, but I probably won't if I'm, if I'm totally honest. All right, Matt. Have a safe journey home. And thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on events there. 
Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to, to be with you and not be talking about Steve Cooper getting sacked at least. So some good has come from this weekend. Matt Davis-Adams. Hmm. Yeah, so obviously Pochettino was saying about how these defeats were different to the ones against Man United and Newcastle, which were frantic games that were very open-ended encounters. But this has actually been a recurrent theme for Chelsea this season. You look at some of those home defeats against Nottingham Forest when they lost without scoring, against Brentford when they lost without scoring, and against Aston Villa when they lost without scoring, all at Stamford Bridge. And obviously this was away from home, but whenever Chelsea play against this low block, they just don't have any answers. They just don't. I mean, this this was a match where they had a lot of possession, 70% more or less of possession, and they just didn't really have any clear-cut openings. Everton were fully deserving of the win. Everton played as a team and as a unit, and Chelsea are still still playing as individuals. But again, it's just this this issue that Pochettino has recurringly had this season where he mm. can't, he can't, he just can't break down a deep-line defence. Which he's now explained is because he needs to go to the transfer market. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, this is this is this is the case where where he's got a squad which is still individuals because there's been so much. This is this is an, essentially a squad that didn't exist a year ago. Mm. How many of these players have come in in the past two transfer windows? It's just there's been too much change for any any sort of period of regularity, and I, and I know why he he will be calling for transfers because. But that's more change, isn't it? Well, yeah, but they, they the number of transfers is one thing, but they they're still short in so many areas, especially when right. you look at their their attacking positions. Obviously, they've gotten Kunku to come back in, but when you look at Nicholas Jackson and um, Armando Broya, they're just not the level that they need to be pushing for top four, top five. It just was a bit weird to see the manager who's in charge of a club that spent what was it a billion? Billion pounds. A billion. Yeah. Also, Pochettino, who who had his greatest spell ever at a club that wasn't buying anybody at all. Thank you very much, Spurs. Uh, now mm. saying, well, yeah, we probably need to buy some players, but there I you think, go. I think football culture has come almost. You know, the fans have become obsessed with social media. Have become obsessed with this. If it's broken, the only thing it can fix it is buying more players, more mm. players, more players. You end up becoming a bit addicted to that. You know. I think when Chelsea clearly have signed these players on these mega long contracts because they've had to back themselves to get this spending spree correct for who knows what's going to come up in the next few years. So I think, you know, to, to say that more and more players are going to fix it, but as you said, Colin, like they've spent that money and they still have profiles in their squad missing, which is quite some achievement. But I think everyone's putting their eggs in the Nkunku basket. But, you know, it's a lot to ask a guy coming off, a young guy at that, coming off a major injury to completely change your your fortunes. And, and when Thiago Silva, you know, I think you take him out of the team and people talk about, oh, they need to take him out to look to the future. But, you know, the here and now is what Pochettino will be aware he's been judged on. Um, he's not at a club with a lot of time. So, you know, Everton are now on their shoulder, even with, <laughs> with 10-point deductions. So, yeah. you know. They'd be, what are they, six points behind? So they'd be... Yeah, they'd be four points clear yeah. if it wasn't for the 10 points Sean Dyche by the way and uh, again well done Everton absolutely uh, massive for them third straight win and Sean Dyche particularly enjoying the second goal from substitute Lewis Dobbin because he didn't dance funny after um, and for him to score his goal the authenticity and his reaction scoring a goal was so pleasing those silly dances and all the nonsense that everyone gets up to in my opinion now a group of people working very hard for a result 
heave runs over to the corner, you watch the team, everyone runs over in a very authentic manner just to enjoy the moment. Sean Dyche, Daniel. There's two teams in the Premier League who have fewer points than anyone else in 2023, and they are Forrest and Chelsea, hmm. uh, who have been in for the whole year. Forrest, I know, have signed 44 players since the start of last summer. Chelsea are not miles behind and certainly have spent more money. And both of them have these squads where there's a huge number of players in certain positions, and then one attacking player gets injured, Awaniu and Kunku, and they haven't got a replacement. Like, that's not how you build a squad. It's, it, it's just not what you do. And I agree that they probably need more changes, but I don't trust that current structure to buy the right ones if they thought that what they were doing for the last 18 months was right. Gotcha. How long before Everton do actually overtake Chelsea, even with the 10-point penalty? It won't be long. They, they, they are now exactly a Sean Dyche team. Um, they are excellent defensively. They're staying in games when they need to. They are maximising the final third because Dyche is probably probably the best pragmatist manager in the Premier League in terms of round pegs in round holes and working out what works. And he's got what works now uh, and he's doing a magnificent job. Uh, we kind of said Everton fans got a bit annoyed with fans of other clubs and the people in the media for saying... Well, they'll be fine even after 10-point deduction, so it doesn't matter as a kind of, well, that doesn't mean we should have got it. But they were always going to be fine because he's an excellent manager. And yeah, between him and Andoni and Iola, we have two managers probably at the opposite ends of the, the managerial spectrum doing pretty much the same thing, which is looking at the squad, working out what works and playing brilliant football doing it. Because, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's so effective and I take my hat off to him. He is an extraordinarily good manager at making a bad situation better. Excellent. I just got to say, James, oh. uh, when you mentioned that it was 28% possession, it was just something that felt everything was right in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you're like, you, there's no other way a Dice team could Slice win 2-0 at a big club. Yeah. Indeed. Moving along, second Sunday in a row that we've had a high-scoring clash involving the Fulham. It was 4-3 at Anfield uh, to uh, Liverpool a week ago. Klopp side narrowly edging it. Midweek then, Fulham did Forest 5-0. And now, by the same scoreline, they beat West Ham. Pete Rutzler joins us again. What about this 5-0 for Fulham? Back-to-back 5-0 victories. Yeah, incredible. You know, for much of this season, um, watching Fulham has been a story of uh, how they're going to cope with Alexander Mitrovic, uh, how they're going to score goals. I think it took them about... 12 or 13 games to hit 10 Premier League goals and now they've done two games, 10 goals. <laughs> yeah, 16 in the last four, 10 in the last two and the, the, the four before that, they'd only, I think, scored two goals in. So what has happened about a month ago to Fulham? Yeah, I mean, so between the last two international breaks, they, they had a run of four quite difficult matches, United, Brighton, uh, Tottenham and then Aston Villa and, and the last of those away at Villa, it, it was, you know, we've seen how impressive Aston Villa have been but it just felt like a point where you know it could go either way um, but the one key moment in that game was that Raul Jimenez scored his first goal for 20 months since March 2022 and since then it just feels like it's all sort of clicked in attack they've got their fluency back uh, the sort of rhythm and, and drive and, and connection between players that, that got them into the Premier League and then of course achieved 10th place last year so that's been a key factor as well okay uh, up in the top half of the table now, in 10th spot. Raul Jimenez, I think most of the football world spent so long hoping and expecting him to be back from that uh, skull injury and then kind of stopped paying attention this season. Is he now, though, back to that Raul Jimenez? <laughs> well, it's early days, but um, 
You hope so. I think Fulham hopes so as well. I mean, he was signed in the summer kind of almost as a, an alternative to Mitrovic, you know, a player to, to challenge him. Of course, Mitrovic had uh, the interest from Saudi Arabia, then went and joined uh, Al-Hilal, um, and he became the replacement. And in those early weeks, you know, he was working very hard, but he just sort of lacked that goal-scoring touch. He didn't score at all for Wolves last season. So it's just about him getting that first goal and building confidence really from it and, and that's what we've started to see and it's, it's what's been so interesting is it's, it's not just Jimenez who's playing with that confidence getting into the right right places gambling on those moments and opportunities but it feels like that confidence has spread to the rest of his teammates uh, as well and, and, and that's sort of led to this sudden goal clap Pete we've, we talked about how Fulham have been doing all their scoring how they got five uh, on this Sunday but what about West Ham how didn't they score any yeah, it's a good question. Um, they actually started the game okay, I thought. Um, first 15, 20 minutes, it was pretty well balanced. Um, I think Bowen had a snapshot. But after that first goal, for one thing, it lifted Fulham. It gave them the belief and just opened the game up a little bit more. I think West Ham were keeping things very compact in the middle. David Moyes came in for his post-match press and was in and out very, very swiftly, um, pointing out the fact that they had the, the tight turnaround and there was some illness in the camp. But... It just felt a little bit in the way that the Forest game did, actually, where the team in the second half really just, I don't want to say give up because it feels like such a strong word, but it, it just lacked intensity completely and at times couldn't get near the ball. And when, you know, when, when the home crowd are making olays, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the direction of travel of the game. And I mean, that's just very strange <laughs> to have that at Craven Cottage in consecutive home matches in any case from, from my perspective. But um yeah, I think from a, for, for, for West Ham, it was quite quite concerning. I know there's the fixtures and they've, they've had European matches as well and that can catch up on you, but um, I think the nature of the game, the nature of the way there wasn't really a response was, was pretty alarming. Pete Rutzler there. Lovely to hear from him. And lovely to see Raul Jimenez with four goals in five games now. He, he had gone 36 Premier League matches without scoring a goal before that run of form. So, yeah, it is nice. It's nice to see to see him get some... Cause and, and, and as Pete said, it's all about the Mitrovic replacement because mm. everyone thought when he went, Fulham were going to really struggle. But, yeah, they seem to find an answer to that. Yep, up in 10th. Very nice. Mm. Dr Nottingham Forest there. If you've got a striker really struggling <laughs> to get back into the goals, just <laughs> play Forest at home no, and Daniel. you'll be laughing by the no, next weekend. No. Now... Let's have a quick word, and I mean quick, on Luton Man City, Daniel. For half an hour, as we mentioned, it seemed like the Hatters' dreams would come true. And then City popped in two goals in, what, three minutes between Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish, and, and normal service was resumed. City, though, were frustrated. Uh, and how much that was the absence of Erling Haaland, or what else was going on? I, th- I think it was... It- it was the absence of Erling Haaland, but it was also that Julian Alvarez played pretty badly, um, just struggling to control the ball and the ball bouncing off him and not holding it up and allowing those midfielders to come in. The, the, the game was basically Jack Grealish personified. He, he, he slowed down the game too much in the first half, took too many touches. They didn't create chances. And then in the second half was getting dogs abuse from the crowd, which at Luton you're playing right next to, was kind of winking and waving at them to try and get them to maybe calm down a little bit, scored the winner and then just, looked like this like beaming smile at full time and then in his post-match interview sort of said it's class I love it here I miss playing in places like this because they hate you but then it makes it better when you win and so yeah it was a kind of Grealish show for better for worse City were not great at all um, it does sound like the Haaland's injury is not 
hugely serious. There was a bit of a, a confusion before the game because Guardiola called it a, a stress bone reaction, hmm. which I think was interpreted as potentially a stress fracture, which is a, a serious kind of months-long injury. In fact, it doesn't sound like it's going to be that. So it will be interesting to see if they do something weird as they've done before and, and give Alvarez a break and play maybe Foden as the front nine or Bernardo as the, the false nine because it really didn't work with Alvarez on today. OK. Uh, a word for Luton, who've only won one of their last ten but have really performed, uh, pushed to the likes of, well, City today, but also uh, Liverpool and Arsenal of late. Yeah, and they've they found a formula that works by Carl Morris has dropped out the team, Adebayo, who was sort of playing out wide but he's 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 huge and he's he's brilliant at holding the ball up and, and winning aerial duels he's playing up front uh Ross Barkley really looked like he was enjoying his football which is is lovely to see they do look as if they're kind of you know Marco Silva said this about Fulham as well he said they kind of we needed the first two months of the season to bed our way in because of the frantic pre-season we had and I think Luton is probably the same you know they didn't play a home game early because the ground was getting redeveloped they brought in players late they do look like they're settling in and they're giving the best teams in the league a real game. They've got Chelsea and Newcastle before the turn of the year at home. That's a crisis-ridden team and a knackered team. They've really got a chance to take to win one of those games, and then they're you know they're bang back in the survival race. All right, four points from safety, four points behind seventeenth place Everton. Well, clear of all of that, are Bournemouth, who have one of the results of the weekend with their three-nil win at Old Trafford. That's where we're going next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Before you get back to this athletic podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by The Athletic every week? I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Just behind Marcus Tavernier delivering this corner kick for the Cherries once again from this near side. Goes deeper this time and power in for a third Bournemouth goal. Isonesi, his second goal in four days, and this is dreamland at Old Trafford. Saturday afternoon, Man United nothing, Bournemouth three, the Cherries' first ever win at Old Trafford. And by a fat margin, but should, could have been way, way more, eh, Jordan? 
Well, Bournemouth had the ball in the net five times, mm-hmm. um, so they can thank uh, the, the linesman and VAR for the fact that it wasn't a complete humiliation um, if, if 3-0 already wasn't that. But I guess it's become not a shock that a team like Bournemouth can come to Old Trafford and not just steal a win, but be by far the more polished team, the more accomplished team, right. have a clear identity compared to Man United. A team like Bournemouth, though, Jordan, a team that until October well, the 27th hadn't won any of their Premier League yeah. matches, but now won five of their last seven. Only but, goal difference from the top half. Yeah, and I, I watched, uh, I was at the game at, at Bournemouth when they played Arsenal at mm. the end of September, and that could have been six or seven by the end. But I guess two people looked at that two ways, at why they're not compromising on their identity. Why are they not sitting off, dropping off a bit? But I actually thought in the first half, I could see what they were trying to do. And, I, you know, there was a couple of times it maybe didn't come off. But I think that's what, you, if you're going to back a manager, you need to give him the time and the, the freedom to implement his blueprint. And I think you're reaping the rewards of that. And I guess it's it's quite nice to see that in modern day Premier League, that a manager's now has proven that his, his ideas can actually work. Yeah. And Donny Iraola asked, post-game about his team's performance and he, he described himself as the lucky guy that happened to be there on, on the bench. <laughs> yeah, Ariel as well. He won uh, at Old Trafford when he captained the Athletic uh, Club Bilbao side. Mm. Uh, Marcello Bielsa won in 20, uh, 2012, I think. Um, so, yeah, so he's obviously had joy here before, but he's, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of his, what he did at Rio Vicano in La Liga. And just the, the style of play that he has, it is very very defined and what it is it's very on Spanish in, so in a way. what does he do what does a Bournemouth team now that Bournemouth are looking like an Areola side what is that well uh, you, you said in, in on the match day program they, they did the they did the sort of case study of how they essentially just just hit the ball long right um, to go into kick the, for of, touch from kick off to get and into said, the corner, you're not getting out of there press back the opposition yeah. everyone pushes up and it, it, it's in a way it's, it's risky it can lead to a couple of heavy defeats as they suffered against Arsenal and it takes a little bit of time for, for players to fully buy into that and to fully get their heads around it. But I think when they do, you can you can see that it, that it works. And e- even when it doesn't, I think fans can appreciate that, that you've got a clear identity, that you've got a team who've got a, a defined set of ideas and what they're doing, and all the players have bought into it. And that is exactly the the opposite almost of, of what Man United are at the minute, where, where you're not really sure from one game to the next what it's going to be. So I think from Bournemouth's point of view, you now know what this Bournemouth team is. Will it last? In, in terms of Bournemouth, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think the objective this season would have been not to be involved in any relegation battle and, if possible, push for a comfortable mid-table spot. Mm. Um, at, the, at the moment, that's that's the projection. And if I look at that Bournemouth squad, I still think that it could be improved upon. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's 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 in the top ten in the league certainly. And they've had a couple of key injuries this season, certainly in midfield. So I think that there's a lot. There's a lot of, of scope for, for things to continue to get much better. But again, it's it's all about getting the right recruitment and and giving Areola the the space and, and the sort of the say, I guess, in that to, to just have that unified unified squad. Right. They're, I said before their goal difference from from uh, the top half. Actually they're they're two points from the top half and they're level with Chelsea. How bad are, are Chelsea, by the way, because they only lost well, two one to Man Man United and then <laughs> yeah. And Bournemouth have got Dom Solanke up front. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they might be regretting. I mean, you're seeing how now fulfil yeah. that the potential that people saw for years and years and years. And if he continues this trajectory, you know, I don't know in six months' time how far off he would be that sort of third striking position in England squad. You know, he's already been capped. I don't know how. Maybe it's maybe he's another move away from that. But he's certainly the way he's playing. He's got the all-round game to be in that conversation at some point. 
Jordan, I'm going to ask you about uh, Scott McTominay. Yes. Uh, Adam Crafton tweeting, this McTominay thing is pure felony. Evidently makes the team function in a worse way as a collective, hinders control of the match, turns the ball over too often, but individually will stand out with goals and application. Uh, Stephen Taylor saying, I think this is a point for the next totally. As a Scottish, yeah. as, a, as a Scotsman yourself. Yeah. Scott McTominay's been fantastic for Scotland. Yeah, well, he's going to be a top goal scorer on the Euro 2024. So we should get that clarified before we we talk about his Man U performances. Right, right. (laughs) He wasn't in qualifying, but he did have a phenomenal strike rate for Scotland. Yeah, he won a game for virtually the whole campaign. Um, But I mean, I wrote about it maybe three or four months ago when, you know, he came into this new role and was scoring for fun. Him and John McGinn, Mm. Steve Clark just let them bomb on, playing off a striker. And it was all about running onto the ball. You know, whether it was second balls, running beyond, coming arriving late in the box. That's what he's good at. He's a good finisher. He's powerful. He's athletic. I think for years and years and years, Man United have tried to play him as this pivot player. But I think you saw against Bournemouth, he's not really naturally suited to playing facing his own goal. He's just not got the, that spatial awareness that, you know, you need to be a real technical midfielder in the Premier League. But recently, obviously, Ten Hag's started to use him in a similar way to Steve Clark and He's been bringing goals to the team. Um, How much was he the problem, though, against Bournemouth? I gave the ball away a couple of times, but, you know, I don't think he was the only player to do that. And If I was a Man United fan, you know, I would be worrying about the reaction and the body language to losing the ball for the team. I found it baffling to watch that some of these players could react so slowly to the counter-attack. And Bournemouth were just pouring through the midfield the whole game. But, yeah, he was obviously a bit higher up, but it did look a bit unnatural um, for him at times. Well, big week for United this. Beaten 3-0 by Bournemouth on Saturday. They now face Bayern on Tuesday. And then they're at Liverpool next weekend. Their last visit to Anfield saw them handed their backsides in a 7-0 defeat. And there's no Bruno Fernandes either after he got himself booked for descent and uh, suspended. Yeah, sort of clinically thick behaviour from a captain. It's, it's, I mean, it's just standard. It's just nobody taking any responsibility that matters. I thought the really interesting thing is after the game, Iriola said, you know, we knew we'd get space. We knew if we just defended all right, we'd get space high at the pitch, which is exactly what Gary O'Neill said after the first game of the season with Wolves when they had 23 shots or whatever. And that was his first game in charge. You think nothing's really like improving here. Like all, all you've proved is that you can beat Chelsea at home, really, which, you know, well done. Um, Still, and, manager of the month. You're never seeing that, no? Yeah, that's true. Um, but they have lost 12 games this season, which is the same as they lost in the whole of last season in all competitions. And they have played 40 fewer games so far. So it's going the wrong way. Um, and I just don't... Well, look, if they lose to Bayern in Liverpool this week, that's pretty much the season over as a kind of we're going to make progress from last season on the basis that they won a trophy last season. It just feels like they're circling the drain at the moment. And yeah, I know that the, the fallout from this one, because it's piled on top of every other manager who's sacking, feels worse. It feels like, well, it must be the players because blah, blah, blah. But you can have five problems. But if you ignore the fact that the manager doesn't seem to be either able to get a tactical plan that works or communicate it effectively or have the enough man management skill to, to convince players of that plan, then something's seriously broken with him and, and his relationship with the players or his relationship with the club. And mm. um, Yeah, none of it's working at the moment. And uh, f- five years ago in t- 2018, Jose Mourinho was sacked on the 18th of December. Oh. And that came after a 3-1 defeat away to Liverpool. And on the 17th of December this year, 
United are away to Liverpool. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, wow. a little bit of history there. But what my final point would be on Man United is mm. I don't even know with with the sort of flux of the ownership situation at the minute if there's even anyone who's got authority to make those sorts of decisions at the club because nobody really seems to know who's in charge at the moment. Nobody really seems to know exactly when that will be concluded, who's going to be in charge of the January transfer window and all that. Um, and I'm not saying that Ten Hag should go based on a couple of more bad results, but I, I think there's certainly a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty that just isn't good for that club at the minute. Okay, and if they do get rid of him, get in a Basque manager. That's that's very much the strong message. Uh, more on that very, very shortly. I was going to say, Richard Keyes' big idea, if, if, if he was given the keys to the club, is that they should appoint Xavi Alonso, as if yeah. that's a kind of two plus two equals an obvious four situation. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, very shortly... We'll talk about uh, the teams at the very top, Villa and Arsenal and Liverpool. Why are so many big stars missing from the Women's Champions League? Do we really need VAR in the women's game? Have Arsenal got too many players? Hello, I'm Sophie Penny and I'm the host of the all-new Full-Time Europe, the Athletics Women's Football Podcast. If you're a big women's football fan or a passing purveyor of the game, Full-Time Europe is answering the questions you're asking. From Man United to Lyon, Barcelona to Wolfsburg, we have you covered. That's Full-Time Europe, out every week, available wherever you're listening now. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Bailey. McGinn with a run into the box. Bailey going there all by himself. Now it's McGinn. Now it's 1-0 Villa. They are having the time of their lives. Aston Villa 1, Arsenal 0. Saturday at 5.30 at Villa Park. And Jordan... You were there. That was your first ever trip to... Yeah, I got to sample the famous Archibald Leach uh, right. architecture. Being, okay. a, being from Glasgow, uh, it was uh, on my bucket list to see the staircase, so I'm glad it was still there. But, right, okay. Now, yeah. I feel I should know what you're talking about. <laughs> he built like half the stadiums in the UK, come on. Did he? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was from Glasgow? He was from Glasgow. He did nice. Ibrox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No one else will be interested in that, so we can edit that out. <laughs> no, no, that's... Um, I was just going to, yeah, I was just adding my vote for being interested in that. Just <laughs> to all. Appreciate it. <laughs> Excellent. I'd imagine that you went there to see uh, John McGinn. 
Yes, John McGinn, man of the match. Um, a bit more a successful weekend than Scott McTominay. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, we're talking about fatigue with Newcastle. Villa, you saw Villa players in the second half um, out on their feet. Uh, Emery said, you know, a couple of players literally asking him to be subbed because they just could not run any longer. Really? Um, the one guy who can, <laughs> John McGinn, um, playing, you know, a bit of a different position than he's played the majority of his career on that left-hand side. But... It's, it's really working for them. A great goal again. Um, spin, finish. Um, and Aston Villa caused Arsenal first 20 minutes a lot of problems down that side where Zinchenko inverts and leaves that space. And was not really a surprise that that's where the goal's coming from. Right. So I think if, if Tommy Yasu and Timber were probably available, it's become clear that Arteta tends to trust them a bit more than Zinchenko when it comes, especially defensively. So mm. it was clinical for Aston Villa. But yeah, I think Arsenal will regret that they played fairly well and had so many opportunities on the counter-attack, which most people would not have expected against Emery's team and just did not pick the right decision time after time. Mm. Well, it leaves them this defeat. A point behind Liverpool in the title race. Villa, though, did we see a team that we expect to be challenging for top spot come next spring? Daniel? I'm kind of loathe to say that because I think it creates a... it kind of inadvertently converts hope into expectation and then when they it, that doesn't happen everyone says you know oh you you let yourselves down you bottled it blah 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 but they are where they are on merit they are a, a phenomenal team particularly at home we know that i just think that that tactical plan at home is working so perfectly they they have this high line that basically tries to catch the opposition offside mm. they've caught the opposition offside 75 times this season 12 of the premier league clubs have caught the opponents offside between 20 and 29 times, and they're on 75. It's 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 absolutely ludicrous. Why is because it so the, hard for teams to work that out? Because they normally, when you have this high line, the way to get through it is to either ping balls over the top, but to do that, you have to have a little bit of time in midfield. And then not only they play with this high line, against Arsenal, they play with Yuri Tielemann, central midfielder. They play with John McGinn, central midfielder. They play with Bubakar Kamara, central midfielder. Uh, and they played with Douglas Ruiz, central midfielder. So they basically combine, because Ollie Watkins is playing so well and taking sort of three defenders with him, it means that this kind of midfield engine just runs at teams and doesn't give them the time to play those balls. So what happens is they play them slightly late and a player runs offside and gets caught offside. Or they play it too early before a player's kind of worked his run out and players come offside. So it's 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 remarkable. The other thing I should say, like the, the squad is good enough. You know, the, it, uh, sort of a list of the players who didn't start for them again to beat Arsenal this week is mm. Matty Cash, Moreno, Diaby, Buendia, Dendonka, Ramsey, Longley, Zaniolo, Duran, Mings, Burton, Traore. None of them started against Arsenal. They had a better bench than Arsenal did at the weekend. It is extraordinary, and it comes after this that incredible performance against Man City. We we said on Thursday we 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 couldn't recall seeing a a team coached by Pep dominated in that fashion, and people pointing out that nine of the eleven players involved in that performance, which was a very different Villa performance from what what you're saying, Jordan, but nine of those eleven were already there when when Emery joined. They, they were the players that Stephen Gerrard said are not good enough to be in the Premier League. Yeah. yeah. Somebody well, wasn't good well, enough. Well, I think somebody was proven right. right. <laughs> I don't think it was Stephen Gerrard. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, as Daniel was saying, like, it is great to watch a team who are so heavily invested and so easily identified. I don't think they could be wearing any, any colour of shirt and you'd be able to say that's an Unai Emery team. And I think that says a lot about the impact he's made on the team. What I would say is, 
just to follow on for Daniels, this whole thing about, oh, well, it's four teams, but Villa, they'll, they'll fall away. Mm. Well, why? Because, as you know, look at the bench. The, the depth is there. You know, they brought Matty Cash on to solve the problem because this was the first time, really, that a team had kept breaking their offside trap for 20, 30, 40 minutes, which I should add was partly down to Jorginho. I think his side, his coaching at the side where Arteta and the... I just stand he was calling for Martinelli to get the so ball. So Arteta was game. suspended yeah, yeah. and Jorginho was kind of filling he, in. He, basically, first half, he spent his whole time in the Villa half patrolling up and down. And after about half an hour, he was really calling for the ball to come out to Martinelli's side. And literally a minute later, Gabriel put the ball over the top and he had that chance where he lobbed, uh, he lobbed Martinez and it got cleared. But that really was the, formed the pattern of the game for the next 40 minutes. And I was a bit surprised because Martinelli didn't have a great game in terms of his end product, but... He was getting Arsenal 40 yards up the pitch with one or two passes because he was causing Konza a lot of problems. But I think if Arteta's in-game management there by taking them off sort of flatlined Arsenal's threat, I think Emery bringing on Cash at right-back and then Donker just in front of him to add fresh legs and stop that, I think that probably stopped a, a win becoming a draw. So I think both managers might had an impact in, in terms of the last, last half an hour of the game. I was going to say very quickly on Unai Emery as well that a lot of people, a lot of Premier League fans, obviously from the Arsenal spell, which didn't go as planned, and they may be seeing this work in Europe, certainly with Sevilla winning three Europa League titles and Via Real as well. But I think at those clubs, the the fan base has uh, had a lot of respect for him, um, but I don't think they had a lot of love for Unai Emery. He's not the sort of guy who who really connected with with a club, with a fan base, and produced football, which was you know really thrilling football it wasn't he's not that sort of character but at Villa he seems to have reinvented himself a little bit whereby they are a really really fun team to watch the fans absolutely love him and I think that goes beyond just the results which are obviously fantastic there's a complete and utter buy-in to what he has done and I think he has evolved and improved quite a lot himself since joining the club because he's always a bit of a cup specialist as a manager in terms of his league outputs, it wasn't. It was never great, even at PSG. It wasn't. It's never seen as being like he's he's just somebody who just builds a team that steamrollers through. He always has poor away records. But at Villa, he just seems to have, it seems to have improved himself, and certainly certainly every single one of those players has improved markedly as well under him. Up to third, they go two points off the top of the table. First place currently occupied by Liverpool after their two-one victory early on Saturday away at Crystal Palace. Post-game, there was a coldly furious Roy Hodgson articulating his dissatisfaction with the state of football, how he's not going to miss it when he leaves because of the referee. Did, did he have a point? They, were they a bit hard done by a game in which they had a player sent off for a, a, a very soft second yellow and pretty much immediately Liverpool then take control? Yes, no. maybe, but but then yeah, but maybe if you know, I would say if if there was a mistake made there, then it wasn't as big as Roy Hodgson kind of alienating the Crystal Palace fan base in midweek by telling them they were spoiled and then having to walk back on that when he realised he'd only taken you know, one one win in the last five games. Um, just it just feels too easy to to moan about that. To be honest, Palace were. Have been poor for a while. It looks uninspiring. He's refusing, it seems, to play the young players, including Franca, who was signed recently. And it just feels like that relationship is breaking up. Uh, yes, maybe in that incident he was slightly unlucky, but 
yeah, I just yeah, I don't I don't really have any sympathy for him, I'm afraid. Fair enough then. What about Liverpool, Daniel? Well, I just <laughs> they have become these kind of late goal champions of the Premier League. Um I think in the last eight games alone I tweeted this earlier, but the last eight games alone they've scored in the league, they've scored in the 74th, 75th, 76th, 77th, 80th, 87th, 88th, 91st, 94th, 95th and 97th minute. Like Their ability to go late in games when, I know they're not playing Champions League football, but they are playing doing the kind of Thursday, Sunday night thang, although they are resting players. But their ability to go deep in games, it speaks of the resilience which Klopp thinks is is as good as it's ever been. And normally when Liverpool are really good, they are very resilient, both at coming from behind. They think they've been behind in seven of their nine away games this season. And at scoring late goals, it helps also that you've got you know a crop of forwards and that you can bring two on with 20 minutes to go and give the defence another headache. But just that, their ability to score late goals like nobody else in the Premier League is, is, has basically fueled them going to the top of the league because they've not played well in about four weeks. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of similarities between Liverpool and Arsenal this season in the sense that they both have probably golden opportunities to win a league and with Man City being a little bit off the pace certainly so far this season. But Arsenal have scored a lot of last-minute winners as well. There's been a lot of times when Arsenal don't look as good as they looked last season and but they, they're finding more ways to win matches. Liverpool yeah. are very much along those lines too. Jurgen Klopp said after the game that he's never seen a, a team play as badly for 76 minutes and win a match um, which which does speak volumes because they they were they were poor they were really really off it against Palace until that red card and they they obviously have the self-belief to continue to win these late games as Daniel mentioned the numbers there it's incredible how many late goals they've scored but and it's kind of the same with Arsenal how can they maintain that throughout a season I mean we're, we're only at the start of December we're not even halfway through yet that it feels like they need to they need to start finding different ways to win games and start to impose themselves on matches a little bit earlier. All right, top of the league, though. I was just going to say it's become this sort of you know almost assumed knowledge that teams who score late on and consistently win games late it's always said that's a sign of champions. Mm. But did that actually become a thing because of Fergie time and that became its own self fulfilling prophecy? Because you're like I don't remember Man City in recent years going that late that often. Yeah. I just think if you're doing that so many times in the first half of the season, it'd be mentally exhausting. I right. think we sort of seen that with Arsenal last season where it took its toll in the end. Obviously, their squad wasn't as deep as it is this season, but I think Arsenal have won 11 points since the 84th minute already. So, you know, I, I worry for Arsenal and Liverpool in terms of how many games they're in that are live the whole way through. I think seeing a Champions to me is killing a game early mm. and you can rotate and then you can sort of mentally... State, take it back a gear slightly. I just, I think it's great character. I don't take anything away with that, and it definitely gives you more belief. But I think if you're doing it that regularly, there's maybe a sign that there's, <laughs> there's imperfections in the team. The good news is that they play each other on the 23rd December, so we only need to watch the last 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so, save yourselves. My normal policy, anyway. Very good. Uh, we'll be moving on to teams down the bottom and other slough in the final part of today's Totally Football Show next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
and Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Congratulations to you, Columbus crew. You've just won the third MLS Cup of your storied history. That was on Saturday night. Maybe it'll get a mention in the Tuesday Totally Football Show, which deals with things, foreign things, generally European things. But we've got loads to talk about. Crazy weekend of the Bundesliga and that. And we'll, of course, be previewing match day six of the Champions League, the last match day in its current format. For the foreseeable future, because it's Swiss League model next the next season. But anyway, that's coming up on Tuesday. Do join us for that. Oh, maybe Rangers get a mention because they are really? the only Scottish side oh. with a chance of playing European football post Christmas. Yeah, uh, come back to me on Friday and ask me. All right. <laughs> At the bottom of the Premier League, the bottom three are only separated by one point. Luton on nine, Burnley and Sheffield United on eight, and Everton, as we kind of talked about earlier, now gone four clear of that particular battle. Forrest are only a point above Everton, so... Anyway, Sheffield United with Chris Wilder back at the helm after some promising signs in the defeat to Liverpool midweek went and beat Brentford Saturday afternoon. What a goal from James McAtee. If if he meant it, it was this. Oh, Colin, no, <laughs> really? It didn't. It didn't, it didn't. It didn't look like he should be shooting from there. It, it just seemed oh, it, Colin, it well. no. Yeah, yeah, no, not yeah. the. Did he mean it? I think that's a bit harsh. I, I think. Don't, so. I, don't, I don't mean to be a killjoy, but it well, seems it, seem, it mean, seems oddly out of keeping with Sheffield United season. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, wash that taste from our mouth, Daniel. Uh, I thought it was deliberate, and I think Chris Wilder is. <laughs> just doing exactly what they wanted. Um, they didn't really play loads different to how a hacking bottom side played, but they did oh. play more long balls than normal, which sort of associate that direct football with, with Wilder. They defended right. properly their first clean sheet of the season. They're just doing the basics well, and sometimes I think you need a change to do that. I don't think they would have beaten Brentford 1-0 under right hacking bottom but Brentford are also they're another team decimated by injuries I mean mm. Thomas Frank was saying you know we look to sit back and play on the counter but then you look at our team and there's no attackers you know Kevin Shard is out injured Tony suspended Brian Buemo now sounds gonna be out for a, a while as well Matthias Jensen who used to play the passes to midfield is out injured there's just nobody there um so it ends up looking a bit one-dimensional you just end up inviting pressure that you can't then relieve and that's pretty much what happened. That was the difference. All right. Cheery stuff. Brighton <laughs> had a 1-1 draw with Burnley. 
What I'm not. What to make of Brighton? What to make of Brighton? Uh, Roberto De Zerbi was very interesting after this game. Uh, he was very downbeat just in terms of himself um, and why Brighton didn't win this game. I mean, obviously you're at home to Burnley, who've struggled for form all season, and they. I mean, I, I've only I've only seen the highlights of this match, but Brighton seemed to be creating all the chances, all the opportunities. James Trafford, who Vincent Company mentioned after the match, was very impressive in goal for Burnley. Um, produced a lot of really good saves, but Brighton. As Deserby said after, he's like, well, if we're not winning these games, we've got the players to win these games, we've, we've everything in place, so why aren't we? And I said, well, the only, the only answer I've got at the minute is that I'm not a top coach. Mm. This is on me. You know, these failures, as he was putting it, were on me. And they dropped points at home to Sheffield United uh, quite recently too. And they've had a, obviously they lost to Chelsea last, last week as well, which some people might say is um, against a team who really aren't in form. So Brighton have a tendency to... They just not have enough about them to be to be winning matches, not having the defence. And this is the thing, they've gone on a, on a run of over 20 Premier League matches without keeping a clean sheet, mm. which is obviously a major issue. And like, you know, we can we can praise the Zerbi for his style of play and they're great fun to watch. But if you can't keep keep clean sheets, even against the teams who are really struggling to score goals, that at least you have a lot of work to do up front, doesn't it? And that, that run is kind of a bit unsustainable. But he was saying that had we have won these games, we would be in the top top three, top four in the league, and we'd be really challenging for the Champions League. But yeah, as, it, as, it, as it is, the narrative is that is that we're not, and that's that's on him. So it's quite, it was just quite interesting because he, he it was just interesting to hear him come out and, and, and be so sort of, I guess, honest about his own, what he sees as shortcomings. Mm. Must be frustrating for him. Uh, I guess we'll see how they do midweek. Thursday night, they've got Marseille in a key game for avoiding the playoff round in the Europa League. And the other game from this weekend, yes. Wolves 1, Nottingham Forest 1. Daniel, over to you. The big one. Yeah, Mm. I mean, the the, the kind of... (sighs) The Steve Cooper soap opera rolls on for another week, I think, because... They drew the game. They should have won the game. They had the chances to win the game. The really interesting thing is they got they got pumped by Fulham last midweek, and he had eight players in that team who were new arrivals in the summer, which is again too much change. For this game, he compl- he made seven changes, and he had eight players in the team who were who were his last season. So he completely sort of pushed out all the new players, and they fought and they wanted it, and all of them did what footballers do, which tweeted after the game saying how much they love the manager there was a lovely interview from, from goal scorer Harry Toffolo to Sky where he's like I can't believe anyone can question what we think about this manager etc etc and you kind of think well that's right but it, it's not you we were worried about we believe that you really like Steve Cooper but the owner wants to finish in the top 10 and he wants to play sexy football so I don't really know how that works with that it seems like he's going to get Spurs on Friday night. It doesn't automatically strike as a sustainable way to run a football club to kind of give the manager one more game, one more game, one more game. But that's how it's going to roll for a while. Um, and they did they did play better, but they lost 5-0 at Fulham, which doesn't look as bad now after West Ham did exactly the same, but is still a, a desperately poor result for a team that is now, no doubt about it, in a relegation battle. Um, yeah. They are If Everton get any of those points taken away, they are fourth bottom of the Premier League, so they're in a relegation battle. They've already played Luton at home and failed to win. They've already played Sheffield United at home and won in the last minute. And they've already played Burnley at home and failed to win. So, yeah, they're in there. Boom. There you go. That was match day 16 of this Premier League. And it's left things looking so very, very interesting. 
Any other thoughts before we wrap it up, Jordan? Uh, no. No? No. Shot. Uh, you can yeah. ask me about Philippe Clement if you want. <laughs> well, yeah, go on then. Because he hasn't lost a game, has he, since well, coming in at Rangers? He's not lost a game, but Michael Beale also left Rangers with the highest win percentage of any Rangers manager in history. Wow. So that shows you that it depends what games you lose. Um, and if right. you lose all the important ones, then it doesn't matter if there are three or four of them, you're, you're gone. Right. Um, but I think Rangers have, have been brilliant in the Europa League the last five years. Obviously got to the, the final two years ago. Mm. They've made it through every single group, group stage. I remember speaking to you after that final in an emotional yeah. state. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think I've recovered. But um, right. yeah, they... You know, they've made a habit, but it's a completely different team. The squad is in a much poorer state than it was back then. Um, yeah, but I think the only hope they've got now is that Celtic um, have definitely taken a step backwards under Rodgers this season, and the title race looks like somehow it might be back open again. Um, but I guess I've got my doubts as to whether this Rangers team are good enough, even though I don't think this is a great Celtic team. I have my doubts as to whether they'll, they'll be able to topple them. How many points between them at the moment? There's so there was eleven. Um, it's five, 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 it's five points. Come down to five now. But yeah. Rangers have a game in hand. Five a game in hand, yeah. so Ooh. could go to two. But so I mean, it was double figures at one point with games in hand. But mm. now it does seem a lot tighter. But I guess the the problem with Rangers is whenever it gets tight, that's when the players also tighten up and they tend to drop points. So, mm. um, but yeah, I think Europe's always a an exciting adventure for them so with Ibrooks as well the power of Ibrooks can sometimes elevate an average squad to doing things that uh, surprise them themselves who have you got on Thursday? Uh, Real Betis oh that's right and you're, it's away isn't it? yeah so they could have got through if they beat Aris yeah. um, probably the poorest side they've played in the Europa League group mm. stage in five years but it was such a disjointed performance um, another team riddled with injuries though so I don't know what's going on with injuries <laughs> wow. everywhere seems to be decimated yeah. um, maybe it's just Covid and the World Cup catching up on everyone but it's them yeah. it's Tories as well <laughs> yeah. Daniel many many thanks to you look forward to reading your uh, The Score roundup in The Eye online Thank you, James. Good News Agents on Monday and Colin yes indeed whatever you've got a cooking in your editorial role with The Athletic magnificent listener I hope you've had a great weekend and that the, the week ahead is fantastic we're uh, back on Tuesday with the Euro lot and uh, why not join us then for now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network discover bonus video content by searching for the Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally The Athletic